All right, guys, I want to tell you about my famous sleep cocktail. It is a formula I created all by myself and I actually did this before I got to Onnit. So we're going to mention Onnit products here, but I was using these products before I got here. Basically, we're using melatonin. The melatonin spray that we have it on it is going to help you fall asleep. And New Mood is going to help you stay asleep. There's a wealth of products originally designed to help balance neurotransmitters in the brain after a night of partying, if you can read between the lines on that one. But you got one to help you fall asleep, one to help you stay asleep. And then, of course, magnesium, a building block that's absolutely critical, an electrolyte that we need that helps the heart function, the body function, especially at rest. And we want to take that at night. If you have a lot of magnesium during the day, you can have a backdoor blowout extravaganza, which is not fun. Uh, so you have key minerals from on it at night, four capsules of that with two capsules of new mood with a few sprays of the on it melatonin. And that is my ultimate sleep cocktail. You can find those all at onnit.com. And if you go to onnit.com slash podcast, you'll get 10% off your entire order of supplements and foods only. All right, y'all. I say y'all now, now that I'm in, I've been in Texas for a year. Grew up in Cali, but I still say hella. I'll bring that out here. I brought, brought hella to Texas. But I, I, went, I came back, y'all. I came back to Cali to interview my man, Dr. Bruce Damer, who I first heard on the Joe Rogan Experience. He's been on Dr. Chris Ryan's podcast, Tangentially Speaking. He's been on my man Kyle Tierman's show. Uh, has a wealth of knowledge in many different things. I thought I was going to interview him, but he wanted to bring on some friends who have a wealth of knowledge in the cannabis industry and really blew my mind. So we've got, I'm going to go down the list here and hopefully I pronounce these names correctly. Doug Real, Uwe Blushing, David Rosenthal, Alexa Rosma, Carrie Barron, and Moy. Now, you don't get to hear everybody on this podcast, but they all contributed in some way or another, whether it's through video or not. They're all worth mentioning. And, you know, I know it's going to be hard because uh, there's so many voices on this one. We didn't even have six mics. I think there were six guests. We used uh, one recorder in the middle. So if the audio sounds a little off, please bear with me. The information is worth it. Trust me. Uh, also, we need to mention there's a lot of information discussed on this podcast. If you go to www.cannakeys.com, that's C-A-N-N-A-K-E-Y-S.com. I have no affiliation, but this is where the bulk of this knowledge is coming from. This is the thing that these guys have put in together, this venture they've started out in the Bay Area. It's phenomenal what they're doing. You're going to learn how we can manage stress, how we can change the body's inflammatory response, how we can alter our own chemistry endogenously through our own productions of cannabinoids, as well as how we alter that exogenously through the use of plants and different medicinal aspects. And guess what? If you're in a state or a country where cannabis is illegal, that's okay. There's many other cannabinoids that we can use that are legal. And I think you guys are going to learn a lot on this one. Just phenomenal. A, a quick bit about Dr. Bruce Damer. He's a multidisciplinary scientist, has devoted decades to deep exploration of two fundamental questions of life. How the first living cells originated on the earth four billion years ago and how their progeny, the Gaian biosphere, with its precious cargo of humans and other complex life forms, may be provided a path toward the cosmos. Well, collaborating with Professor David Dreamer at UC Santa Cruz and published The Hot Spring Hypothesis of Life's Origins, which is now undergoing testing by scientific teams worldwide. In the 1980s, he developed some of the first software using a graphical user interface and mouse for publishing. 
In the 1990s, he organized the community and movement bringing virtual worlds populated by users as avatars into the internet. While bringing virtual worlds technology to NASA for simulating and designing numerous space missions, he co-developed Shepard, a unique spacecraft that could harvest resources from asteroids and enable the expansion of civilizations into the solar system. In a surprising new result, theoretical and laboratory work on the origin of life has uncovered a simple conceptual engine of creation, which may explain how all of biology, technology, and human experience is created. Dr. Damer is now collaborating with a network of scholars, spiritual teachers, and cultural investigators to consider how this cycling engine might transform our understanding of reality and what it is to be human. Dr. Damer's work at UCSC, the Biota Institute, NASA, and his personal passions such as the Levity Zone podcast and Digibarn Computer Museum may be explored at H. TTP colon forward slash forward slash www.damer.com. That's D A M E R. All right, y'all. Long ass intro, long ass podcast. It's fucking fire. I hope you enjoy the shit out of it. If you do, leave us a five star review. Check out my man, Bruce Damer, at the Levity Zone on his podcast, which is exceptional. And also dig him up on Joe Rogan, which is just phenomenal. They take a deep dive, a little deeper than ours. And if you're into this stuff, remember approach these plants with respect. This is fucking medicine. It's not a toy. You wouldn't grab a handle of Jack Daniels your first time drinking alcohol and pound it to the dome if you knew what was good for you. So don't decide to go for a 100 milligram THC edible the first time you play with cannabis. Start small, work your way up, respect the process, and that's when you get the best results. Hope you enjoy this one. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we have a lot of people. This is the first time I've had a, a podcast with this many guests. So, um, I'd like to, for voice recognition, hopefully, we can go around the table, have everyone introduce their, their first and last name, and um, uh, hopefully that voice will catch so you know who's talking as we're all, as we're all going around the table here. But we'll start here and go clockwise. Hi there, I'm, I'm Uwe, Uwe Blessing, and it's a pleasure to be here. Greetings, my name is Alexa Razma, and you can call me Razma. Hi, my name is Carrie Barron. I'm Bruce Damer, sometimes called Dr. Bruce, and it's just such an honor to be in this group tonight talking about important things for humanity. Yeah. Hi, my name is Douglas Real, and it's a pleasure to be with all of you. Awesome. Well, I first met uh, Dr. Bruce Damer at uh, my buddy Kyle Tierman's house, and um, you know, I followed you on Joe Rogan's podcast and on Kyle's show, and uh, massive fan. So this is truly my pleasure to, to be here in your home. And we got the tour to backtrack just a little bit. We had an amazing tour uh, through the barn, got to see uh, the complete history of, maybe not complete yet, but completing history of, of uh, computers. And uh, a look at which really I was absolutely thrilled. I think you guys were too, but to look through the Timothy Leary library. <laughs> Absolutely. I was a kid in a candy store, put it that way. So um, where do we jump in here? I know we have um, a lot to talk about and we've got as much time as necessary. And there was a thing that you had mentioned because I listened to your podcast that you did with Deepak Chopra and it's something I do as well. But you mentioned putting on a a different face or a different suit, depending on who your audience is. Mm -hmm. So I'd, I'd first like to address that and say that's I like that. But I, I don't know what anyone's um, first thought is on 
the podcast that I have. Obviously, it's health and wellness, fitness, that kind of thing. But I'd like to to just open it up to get weird. I want to invite everyone to please, you know, hold nothing back. Don't worry. Uh, it's you know, I probably look more meatheadish than most of the people tuning in. So <laughs> let's uh, let's dive into some cool stuff because I know you guys all have a wealth of knowledge. The integrating, if I could offer it, the the integrating theme that I thought when when you uh, and I got together and we to do this was something that actually came up again uh, in the Digibarn when uh, Uve picked up the little Curta uh, hand crank calculator, the most beautiful, perfect mechanical computer ever made for the hand, and said, this is the machine or this is the system that gave us the idea for a whole new metaphor for what we're doing in our wellness which we came up with a name for called dialing. You know, think dialing in. I'm dialed in. I'm, I'm, and a dial, what a dial is, is a knob that you can turn forward, but you can also turn it backwards. You can also, you can start very low. You don't have to go to 11 right away, right? And you can have another dial that relates to that dial. And really what we're doing in the 21st century, I think, in health is dialing. We're dialing our systems and all our systems are different. But we're dialing, in this case, with this group, uh, cannabis uh, use. And, and we can learn to dial it in a more precise way based on chemotype. My personal practice is dialing in what I call endo or endo-tripping, endo-journeying. There's dialing in for psychedelic medicines. There's dialing in for energy work. Dialing into somebody else's system for somatic healing, simulating them, putting on a different skin different identity, but becoming the other in order to facilitate healing. That's a form of dialing. And so maybe that's a metaphor for our, our time. That's It's a bit nerdy, but, you know, but it's also mechanical. And it's also, I think, real. It's real and physical. And you've done that in your podcast, in your life. You told us many dialing stories of getting it right. And, uh, you know, you, you, Doug and Uwe and everyone here, Carrie and Raws have all dialed in to their optimal health and performance. And so I thought that could be like a nice theme. And I have a very tall tale to tell you later about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So let's, let's, let's dial in the listeners here. Uh, you have two books on the table, Uwe, and uh, the Breaking the Cycle of Opiate Addiction, Opioid Addiction, and the Cannabis Health Index. And this looks like the Bible, the Cannabis Health Index. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a giant book, and it's loaded with information. So, unpack your research, really. I mean, this is. <laughs> I mean, let's start there, because a lot of this is going to you know come into dialing with cannabis, and then we can talk about other methods as well. Because I think um, one of the things, consistent themes that I like to give people is there are many paths that lead up the mountain, right? And not all of us live in. California, I miss this state, but I live in Texas now, and it's a whole different ballgame when it comes to cannabis use there, and even just access to good quality organic cannabis. So having uh, many paths, whether that's endogenously or exogenously, I think those are important tools. Yeah, let me give you a practical example of, of uh, how you might want to look at dialing in a particular type of cannabis or a particular type of cannabis constituents. There's one one patient population that, that that shows a good 
metaphor is a good example for it. And that's people recovering from opioid addiction or from heroin addiction. And uh, withdrawals from heroin are a horrific experience. You get the shakes, you got this horrific dysphoria, you got abdominal cramps. It's just it's just a, a pain amplifier to live in emotionally and physically and, and mentally. And um, um, uh, there are a number of patients that have made the same map and uh, for themselves and, and by extension for others in terms of, of showing how cannabis can be used as an exit drug for, for a number of things, but in this case for opioid or heroin addiction. And what the and and their map their story is 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 pretty unanimous with mild variations on the theme and what they do is 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 when they tell their tale of how they recovered and eventually got off of opioids or heroin is is they started with uh, a dabbing cannabis a high THC concentrate that when when they hit rock bottom physically and emotionally and 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 psychically. They're walking into the dispensary or to the, to a friend's place, or they have a dabbing rig at home. They take one hit, and their shakes stop. The 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 dysphoria gets to gets gets suppressed to a level that's sustainable, and that's that's um, um, something they can work with. And and the idea is not to stay on to trade one drug with another but to, to get you started to to manage your withdrawals in a in a therapeutic way after a few days or in in some cases 10 to, to 10 days to 2 weeks you step down in concentration of the dab you go from like an 80% dab down to a, a 60 and you step it down further to where you can actually s- take a full spectrum cannabinoid an oil that's extracted and then you step that further down over time to where you take the the, the a chemotype 1 with a high concentration of THC but also you have the benefit of all the other cannabinoid constituents that are in there and that can play a therapeutic role in the bigger picture. And then eventually, you know, you keep on moving towards a chemotype 2, which contains a relative equal amount of THC and CBD, which is often called the counterpart of the two prime cannabinoids. And then, and then over a period of time, uh, you can actually switch to a, a chemotype 3, which is primarily CBD with only small amounts of THC. And that process that I just, just described usually happens over a period of weeks. And it, it usually doesn't exist in a vacuum where, where the only thing you rely on is a, another substance. But usually it's accompanied by, by supportive friends, a supportive environment, uh, a therapist, a physician that supervises you. You know, whatever team they felt is what's going to get them to shift completely out of it. And, but, but that's the common denominator. It's starting with a, with a highly concentrated version and then, and then slowly moving to the other end of the spectrum. And here's the interesting part where, where, where endotripping, the term that, that Bruce brought to the table, comes, comes into play. Once you, once you get to a place of balance where your, your, your major withdrawal symptoms are handled, and, um, you, what you can do then at that point is rely on mind-body 
or mindfulness techniques, my body medicine or mindfulness techniques to create an internal environment that in turn produces the chemical correlates that continue the work that you just did with an external plan, with a teacher plan, an ally, however you want to call it, to get you to this place so that you can at that point take over and 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 learn what you need to learn in order to 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 end a trip to to create the internal architecture of mind that produces the chemical environment that continues you on this path of flow of balance of of homeostasis and and the idea here is 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 what's interesting about drug use is at least in my book, I always find fascinating what drugs people are attracted to, because I've come to believe that that the drugs they like is a direct reflection of the emotional reality they'd like to live. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it can give you some interesting clues about what you want a person attracted to psilocybin or LSD Chances are that if you ask them what they like about the experience is a sense of wonder, of adventure, of uh, opening doors that they couldn't have imagined with their own living imagination as far as, as they know or they're comfortable with. Somebody who wants, who feels attracted to cocaine, they probably want to have confidence and an unshattering ability to, to focus and to see things through with with you, you get the point I'm trying to make, right? And same with the, the reason why I think so many people are attracted to cannabis because everybody's stressed out, you know, and especially in 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 in, in, in the United States, where you know meeting your your daily requirements, your bills, or it can be a hard hard uh, hard experience for a lot of people. And so to just chill after twelve hours of commuting and an eight hour of, of grinding at the office and dealing with the boss's attitude, well, you gotta relax a little. And so so but a lot of people have forgotten how to do that. So a, a little bit a little talk is is it's just what they need, just what the, the plant prescribes and offers and gives. And because a lot of us have forgotten how to get there ourselves. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, so I think that might be a good way to start about talking about dialing in what type of cannabis might be useful for what phase of your life you find yourself in. And then how to fine tune that experience so that you open up to to the, the whole idea of endotripping, of being able to, to get where you want to go without an external substance. And, and uh, so what these, these folks that I just mentioned, what they all have demonstrated to me is that you can do this. You can get from a very extreme withdrawal junkie addicted place to one where you are fully responsible and have full agency over the emotional qualities that that hold value to you that are closest to your ideals. I love it. <laughs> we started, we started at the top, you know, and that's something I think um, that resonates with a lot of people because there is an opiate epidemic right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's fa fairly common knowledge. Um, I've lost a couple friends to heroin in college at Arizona state um, cousin of mine to pills. You know, it, it's something that grabs people and there's not, many tools that lead us back. So any tools that we can have, um, and, and, they're needed. And heroin, craving heroin or, or opioids, what those people commonly tend to use is, is euphoric analgesia. 
you know, people want to be in a state without pain. Mm. And, and because I believe many of them are in constant pain, either physical or, or mental, emotional pains. And, and to, to shift away from that, even to just, just be for a moment pain-free, by itself creates a euphoria that often gets transferred to, to, to opioids or to, to heroin, when in fact it could be your, 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 your endorphins, your, your endogenous opioids, you know, which is another uh, you know, lead way into looking at how can I get analgesic euphoria how can I deal with my pain constructively in such a way as to work through it, release it, and and um, and in that sense be free of it, and then and then out of that release, you know, embrace the euphoria of just the sheer gratitude of what you must be like of of living in pain, and all of a sudden. You don't have to do that anymore. And and it may be different from one person to the next in terms of what needs to happen in order to get there. But but uh, that's where endotripping comes in. And that's why endotripping is a very subjective experience, even though, though maps that have been made and we all can contest with that in one way or another, you know, there are common common themes or common denominators or even scientific evidence that one can rely on to make more informed decisions in terms of where they might want to start in terms of how to how to work this for themselves. And, and to take off on what you were saying is Doug and I started talking about four years, five years ago. Yeah, uh, five at least. Because what had happened to me since I was nine. So at about eight or nine years old, I discovered that if I had a very stimulating day, like I was playing Captain Kirk, this is the time of the old Star Trek, and I got beamed in by Captain Kirk. This is very good. Um, <laughs> and uh, a stimulating day where I was in my imagination. If I closed my eyes to take a nap or trying to go to sleep, there was amazing color flashes going on behind closed eyelids. And I'd open my eyes, and there would be no lights on. And I thought, wow, this is like color TV, except we don't have color TV yet, Right. The neighbors did, uh, but we didn't have a color TV. And I learned to, um, I, I loved it. I just physically or emotionally loved the flashes and the colors. So I started to minimize myself down. I dialed myself back, my consciousness. Sometimes it's called the default mode network. Dialed it down so I was just barely an observer. I called myself the crystal sphere, just observing. And then the flashes resolved into landscapes. And they just went, whoa. And then I, I had a little recorder button. So I learned back in those years, push, record, let's record this whole thing. And then stuff would happen. Entities would come through and all this would happen. And uh, in my team, This was at nine years old? Yeah. And wow. So, so I think all children do this. And I think it's endogenous DMT is what they're running. And all through my teen years, I drew thousands of drawings of worlds. So I kept that system going like the Cecil B. DeMille, like we're keeping the cameras rolling. We're not going to let the dark room go dark and not be able to do this. And then that rolled into my entire adult career, virtual world, spacecraft design, origin of life, everything. Like So that's my primary tool is endotripping. So I can literally load up the studio with the key question and then the actors appear and the rendering people and the Foley artists and whatever. And one day it'll start coming up 
through the body, and then I'll close my eyes and I'm engulfed in the endo trip, which might be a delivery for how life began on the earth. Yeah, you've you know? used the endo tripping modality to inform some of the directions of your scientific explorations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, writing code in my 20s, doing virtual worlds in my 30s, spacecraft design for NASA, because uh, I wanted to solve the riddle of the, the origin of life and how to get life into the cosmos, complex life from Earth. Those were my two objectives as a teenager. <laughs> and so I've always just kept... <laughs> on those two paths and everything just came together in 2015 like a perfect union the two ideas the two technical publications the two tedx talks on one day and it was done and and the collaborators and everything this is magical it's like the synchronistic field was really it delivered you know but i was paying attention but endo tripping was a key and actually uh, meeting terence like i completely stayed away from mind altering anything um, because I didn't want to mess up the endotripping system. And actually, when I did enter that world, it was through Terrence, and I put a firewall up, and I could shut off the entire endo system, power it down step by step to not affect it. And then in 2013, only then I decided to power up everything at once. And then it came became extraordinary at that point, because... With a very, very low dose, not high dose, dialed, I dialed my doses down so they were very low. So then the effect would come in, but it would be gentle, right? Madre would come and put her brute, her suitcases down, like, I'm here. That kind of thing, instead of, you know, take you over, rake you over. So, so then what I did was I learned a practice uh, called winding the vine. So taking six or seven energy systems and, and pulling them into a single union, kundalini from below, rainforest energy from above or from nature, the planet, the planet, music and sound coming in, healing coming in, the endo-tripping way of complete presence, like no thinking, like I'm not here. The record button uh, and then... Uh, what I what I do to to finish this practice was I would wait until the medicine would come in and I would watch for its wash patterns and compare them with my own ability to those flashes and the fractal washes and I had determined that they were the same thing. So what was coming in was exactly the same compound really as I was always generating. And at that point, I then had a practice to wait until they came close together and almost touching like the hands of Leonardo or Michelangelo. And then they would make, make a perfect union and that would click. And then my whole system would just vibrate and all the Kundalini is flowing and all the, everything is just going. And my cells are now generating the endo DMT. Like every cell in my body is like cranking this endo DMT. And then I would come into union with the spirit entity itself. We'd like, we can't be non-dual. We have to be one. And like, now we're one. And then we could journey further and further. So it was like in, in it was like a dialing. And this was with ayahuasca? This was with ayahuasca. Yeah. And then with everything else. So even without a medicine, you know, because I've, I've finished my ayahuasca practice several years ago. Now I'm doing pure energetic dialing. So 
all of these traumas that people are suffering from that take the opioids that need all the relief, uh, they're related to child deep childhood wounds and traumas that happen. You know, this is the great discovery of the 21st century that we know that there's sometimes they're called character styles. Uh, Eckhart Tolle called them uh, the pain body, mm-hmm. right? Um, he described that triggering the pain body in his clients, and the clients would start screaming and shouting, and he'd record them like we're doing here, and he'd play them back, those those things that the client couldn't believe what was going on. Why? Because the pain body is an entity of its own. And when it's triggered, there's a protector above it. It's the wounded child. The protector is trying to keep that wound from getting re-injured. The pain body is stimulated. The protector comes roaring out. <laughs> Attack. You know, and there's, there's several, there's a dozen kinds of pain bodies now that are well characterized. And then there's like managers that are like, do this, do that, do this. And that. there's a whole complex, a society of mind, like Marvin Minsky said, around this, these complexes. So I, I went into this luminous awareness practice where we get a hundred of us together every three months and we work on a one core trauma. We just did psychopath. And psychopathy is, is uh, there could be a control psychopathy, there could be uh, a, a seductive one or a denied power psychopathy. And that comes from real abuse at a certain age, you know, five to seven into teen years. And um, what we do is literally people self-identify. We go through what is psychopathy? Do you have it? And people self-identify and you can scan people's systems and find it in them. The, the great practitioners can scan a whole system and like, there it is. They can then start talking to the little entity that's protecting the wound itself directly. So you're talking to several people. You're talking to the person here, but you're talking to another one there. And then we'll line everybody up. You know, 25, 30 people line up and sort them out as like the severe ones are over here, like the real heavy-duty cases and then the, the middle ones and the blends are over here. And then the group will trigger the lineup as a collective. So beyond what Eckhart would do is triggering a client in the office will trigger the entire group. And because there's so many people, it's like a holy roller church service. There's so much energy in the room and there's so much intelligence to this energy. It's a healing power. It's like the power of ayahuasca's healing energy. It just is so intelligent and it's moving. But this is a pure human medicine kind of thing. And you're in such a potentiated field that someone will roll, they'll start, you know, their body will start undulating, for example, because these, these traumas are held in the cells. They, that's why talk therapy didn't work. Psychotherapy didn't work for decades because you can't talk someone into something into basically feeling and processing something that's cellular. So the triggering brings it out. The protectors are trying to defend the little wound is saying, I'm being att- paid attention to for the first time I've seen, you know, that all this stuff is happening is deeply shamanic. And then we would, people would start rolling and we take them to their group and three to four hours they process through intense, but really directed and with people with skills moving around the room. So it isn't like an ayahuasca ceremony where you're kind of coming in blind, you know, things are triggered things happen, but there isn't a practitioner that 
understands this deep mechanism, you know. So I, I feel really, in a sense, you can do it in combination. I mean, you could do it in combination. But so this new practice is really a, an energetic dialing in. Like right now, I could, when, when I was with Deepak, when you saw the with Deepak mm-hmm. Chopra, I actually was dialing into his system. I was scanning his system. And then I went into something called, we call in the practice open-hearted awareness, where you go super spatial, and then you open up your heart center. And you can feel it. And Deepak's system went like that. As I was just trying to reach him that way, rather than just through the mental. Talk a little bit about that. I understood what you were talking about on your podcast, and I encourage people to tune in to, uh, what's the name of your podcast? The Levity Zone. Levity Zone. And uh, if you just punch in Bruce Damer uh, into your iTunes or wherever it is, it'll pop up. But it's it's um, uh, it's an amazing 40-minute podcast you did with, with Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. And you talked about that. You spoke about opening up the heart, like dropping your consciousness down from the mind into yeah. this heart space. And the jock in me would have revolted hearing that 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but through my work with ayahuasca and psilocybin and MDMA. Um, and then also through watching documentaries like I am and seeing what's going on at the heart math Institute here in Boulder Creek. Yeah. Like there is, it's verifiable. Like we're, I guess all of our heart chakras are touching right now. Mm-hmm. We want to really talk <laughs> yoga or woo, right? Like it's, it's an eight foot field. Right. It's Mm -hmm. it extends out further than any other part of our body. Mm -hmm. So all that the language of that energy is human interaction. And for people who think that's bullshit, like all you have to do is is think of a time where you felt someone's presence in a room and you just felt icky or Mm -hmm. afraid or I mean, dogs do it. uh, Babies know it. You know, like they could sense that because they haven't turned that part of their body off. They haven't been told that's not real. They just know it's there. They're tuned into that, right? So, but but unpack that that kind of conscious choice to drop from this staticky, frantic mind space that we live in in the West into this heart space where we actually feel and can send out that love and tune into one another. This is the great mission of the 21st century, of our era. This is it. And it's happening all over the globe. It's happening to you, a, a certified jock. (laughs) <laughs> look at you now i mean in, in five years and and you know but and you represent jockdom at its premium level with with wrestling and you know fight culture right but and yet you embody the heart opening you know if it can happen inside you it can happen in all of humanity and it's a beautiful thing and it's it's our our path to survival because in the challenges to come, you know, we've got all these challenges. We have the, I call it the serpent of technology. It taught us how to see through pixels and the, the tree snakes we co-evolved with that made us into beings that could see pixels because of the, the snake scales and tripping us out. But now we can study screens and it opened our consciousness. It opened us to 3D high acuity color vision. But that same serpent is on the phone now, and it's utilized by the psychopath process to gain control and power. So the serpent of our own nature comes through 
media and constricts and, and extracts from humanity. But at the same time, it was the power, it was the thing that evolved us into who we are. And we push back against that snake, right? And we push back and we push out different media, you know, and, and this is how we're co-evolving. So all the fake news and all the, the crazy conspiracy theories and the madness is an evolutionary stress on us. And our countering of that with open-hearted awareness, you know, like Ram Dass has taught for 50 years. That's what it comes down to. It's what Terence McKenna said the day before his death. And no one knew this. This is why we, we brought this to the world in 2012. Terence sat up in bed as, as he tried to do. I mean, he was on, he was on uh, anti-seizure medications. He'd had gamma knife surgery and everything for his brain tumor. This is on April Fool's Day of 2000, right? The millennium had happened. There wasn't a Y2K disaster. He at least lived to see that. But he sat upright in bed. And this is for all you trippers out there, all you people who are trying to, to see the machine elves, right, and fallen <laughs> under his sci-fi spell casting. Um, he sat up in bed and said, psychedelics, they're not about ideas, they're not about all that shit, you know, that shit. Um, they're about love. Mm. And what had happened was all the mental process, all the storytelling around trips, all of the, the eschatons and the singularities and all that stuff was gone. It had been dissolved by this mushroom-shaped tumor, or, you know, a coincidence, who knows? But I mean, his mental structure had been completely turned to mush. And what came up through Terence McKenna was it was really all about love. That was the power of these two, of these medicines. It's his greatest rap. It was nine seconds. And we, we read it into the record at Esalen in June of 2012. And so even, you know, that's really what it comes down to. So Terence let, let us there, you know, in his last words. And then he, then he said, Keep breathing, folks. Keep breathing. And that was another piece of wisdom because it's about the breath. Yeah. You know, the breath is life and, and we hold our breath, you know, when we're on phones and computers and holding the breath strangles the body and creates anxiety and panic, which creates this need for all this stuff we take because we're in a state of anxiety. But it comes down to tension to breath. You know, Eckhart said, Attention to breath is worth 90, 99 seminars and everything else, <laughs> you know. So there are these paths, and I know you've gone down that way. We've all, all gone down that way. But, but um, we have the most powerful tools in human history that come through multiple traditions, plant medicine, meditation, uh, extreme sports, uh, endurance, and uh, uh, full initiations of humans again, returning after two after. 1700 years after the destruction of Eleusis so that we can initiate our young like the Africans do with Iboga initiate people into adulthood into human beings that's returning all over you know the, the combo and the we have the best tools we've ever had we we have a runway to do this thing i think we're going to do this thing you know we're going to build a great civilization we're going to ex expand to the stars you know, you know, we're going to drive Elon's 
Tesla is all the way to Mars <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not too much traction in space. But, but it's, it's just an extraordinary time in human history. And I think on it and, you know, Kanakis and all of, you know, Roz's, Roz's roles and your incredible practices, you know, are, you know, because you're birthing in Australia there. And we could all talk about those. I mean, they're the, the great tools of the health and wellness of this rare and special complex species. Well, let, let's jump back real quick, and then I want to want to include the ladies. But um, you talked about starting something with Bruce five years ago. Mm -hmm. Is that when you guys started working together? Well, we t we talked a uh, a lot on and off about his endo tripping experience that began when he was nine, and I've always been fascinated by. It seemed like you skipped a few steps, and what most people have to go through to deal with their traumas and the challenges that they've often internalized mm. through their socialization, their upbringing, their experience. And, and I always found Bruce remarkable because he was able to somehow, and I'd love to hear, you know, any thoughts you have about that, about how you've um, been able to tap into a modality that, um, like Uva said earlier, people can move toward to learn tricks and and practices that can allow us to tap into our endogenous potential but you seem to jump right to it quickly but but the funny thing was our, our the the project for whatever reason we could never um it never materialized hmm. at least in a physical form of a book or something that we could um, we were going to call it the little book of Endo. The little book of Endo. And it would be like the uh, the bestseller called Everything I Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Mm -hmm. It was about 20 years ago. It was really simple. And I started interviewing people who had endo-tripping experiences. And uh, every time I talked to somebody on the phone, I said, was it lucid dreaming? Were you just waking up? No, no, no. It was day daylight, sometimes open-eyed. I was on the bus. Um, I endo-tripped constantly. And like... Is it, uh, are you smoking or taking anything? No, 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 I'm not doing that. And I realized that there were cases of people who open-eyed or closed eyes were in intense trip states that had meaning that they could actually put intention into. There was a fellow who did, who solved a major mathematical theorem. And, and when it came on, his, his girlfriend, like, she reported to him later, it's like, I could you know, your eyes are open, I wave my hand in front of you, and about two hours later, you come to. He was totally taken over. He was in a mathematical cosmos and being shown the, the solution. So it's, 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 like, it's like an act request. You, you, you ask for it and dream it, and you have faith it's going to come, and one day it does. I mean, this came to Albert Einstein when he was riding alongside a beam of light. He was running, that led to special relativity. Newton had these experiences. Descartes had these experiences. Carrie Mullis, um, Francis Crick. All the people trying to solve the big problems, you know, and I think artists live in an endo world all the time, you know, and perhaps even in extreme sports. I mean, everything in slow motion. I mean, you're a sense you you could be endo tripping a move before you you do it and it would, would show you the best way to do something really difficult really challenging and so i think it's 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 a different thing i think it's brand new uh, because people haven't 
every time I talk to them on the phone, I, I announced this on a couple of podcasts and I had call after call. And they always would say, thank you for giving a name for this thing. I never, I never, I thought it was just strange. I thought there's something wrong with me. No, but I think in some sense, endo or the endo way or the endo tripping is one of the greatest tools humans will ever have because it's, <clears throat> it's a combination of, of uh, a delivered vision to a request because most of these people were saying, I'd like a solution. And the cosmos is delivering it, the, the giant synchronicity field that now I feel around me all the time. And I talk to it. I thank it like on a daily basis. Thank you for doing this and helping me build Gandalf's house up the hill. And it's just continuously rolling now. And I think it's our greatest tool because you can throw any problem at it, any, any issue. And if you're patient and you wait and you're not, you're not overthinking it because it's being solved in some kind of a big network somewhere. And then you are a channel, you're a clear channel for the download for the solution. And when it starts coming, minimize yourself and push record. And sometimes I, I learned how to do a pause button. So by the time I was an adult, I could do the pause thing. So I'm on a long flight to China. The huge download has started on nothing more than bad airline coffee and noise canceling <laughs> headphones at altitude. So you get a little bump when you're at altitude, uh, especially when you're up in the mountains, you get my God, it's just, I was constantly going for me. And I could do that, you know, it'd be rolling and I'd be protocells flowing in solution and I would pause it and draw in my notebook everything I saw. And then I'd restart, go back and restart and it would be in a different position. And then I would ask it, why are we in cold water? Oh, you're being, I'm showing you how sex began. Okay. And and so two and a half hours later, I have a full notebook as I've paused and restarted and paused and restarted. And then there's a moment in endotripping, it's very specific, where it's over. And that's when you know you're not driving this with imagination. This is a delivered thing. And it is done. And, and you just let it go. Let, let it go. Don't push it. Don't push on it. Don't desire it or, or try to pull it in. And, and that respects it respects the gift that was given that's it and uh but it, it's astonishing and i saw all these people who have the same experience so the idea of the little book of endo or the endo way was to a guide as to how to go in and when it starts to happen what to do you know whether you're nine or 99 you know and, and you feel it's available to everyone I think it's available to everyone i think it happens to people a lot it's one of those things that is a little shard of awareness that comes and goes, and it hasn't been identified yet. In breath work, oh my God, in pranayama breath work, it's a total door opener for this. It's completely a clear channel. So breath work is a, sometimes I'll finish yoga and breath work and I'm in an endo state and it's a story is un unrolling and I'll grab my voice recorder right away. And lay down some tracks, some memory. Pranayama would be like breath of fire. Breath yeah. of fire. And yeah. so how long typically would you do that? I would do, so I, I, I made up a, a combination practice that I learned from Sri Sri Ravi Shankar from, from Art of Living. Um, and I start with pranayama 
uh, with sun salutation yoga, I do some body roll. I do some Feldenkrais. And I do some like total back rolls to pop my vertebrae because mm-hmm. a tall guy like me, back problems, right? So if I pop, if I roll my vertebrae into popping every day, I'm going to have no back problems. And then I sit and I do the OJ breaths and the breath holding, and holding six seconds, blowing it out with a pop, with a basically your belly breath and then holding it in for four. And that creates this strength of the lung hunger for air hunger for air and it creates a, a powerful living and you do that sort of holding this way on your shoulder that's the art of living practice and then you switch to the pastrika which is the pump action breath and that's an amazing practice to turn off the mind like bellows breath bellows breath like you know through the nose and with each pump action you push the mind a little bit off off and fills off the ledge until it shuts down. You do three sets of those and your mind is shut off. Now the mind, the busy morning mind is, is gone is gone away for it's taken a holiday. And then you do an oming, I do an oming practice to bring energy up and vibrate my body to let all this come up and be be felt. Then the pranayama is the breath of fire. So 10, 40, and 40 at various rapidity. So the Minutes or repetition? Ten reps. Okay. Uh, ten reps of the low speed breath, uh, 40 at the medium and and 40 at the high. And I learned another practice, which is the energetic fields. So now your your system is really, the mind's not running anything. You, you have a tremendous amount of energy flow here, body oxygenation. So what I learned to do is in between... Each of the reps, like the 10 rep into the 40 rep, I clap that that concentrates energy. And then there's such a field around you at that point that will bring the field. Of, oh, wow, you really feel it. And after I do the 40 breaths of fire, I usually do this. And it pulls energy from the cosmos through you. And then the last step I came up with is uh, uh, mantras. So when I'm come now, I'm a complete open channel. I'm like an Alex Gray painting, pretty much at this point. And then I'll start to go through the breath all the way up to the highest overtone, and then I'll launch into mantras. And it could be nonsense mantras. It's any any sound, but it's super loud. It carries across the valley here. It's total aliveness. It's total power and aliveness. And then I'll come down into an, a feeling one. Or the heart, and these are where the parts get healed. So the little injured part in you gets sung to. That's a huge deal. And and the little part gets sung to. And you're singing to all of your little parts, all of your little children. And at one shot, everyone's is cool. Everyone's being loved. <laughs> and so that's my that's twenty minutes. Mm. It's twenty minutes and it's a it's a total rounder thing. But yeah. Anyway, so that's that's the practice I've come to over the last five or ten years. Yeah. I love it. And you set an intention when you go into this, if you're going to problem solve, or is it I sometimes can't. just for the state of being? It's just right, for instance, doing it before this podcast so that I'm really clear. Um, or, yeah, and then literally during during that, stuff starts to move. Like an endo experience can start to happen. 
And suddenly, uh, like with the origin of life solution, it's like, it's coming. And my mind went just like this. And I just sort of sat back. And 45 minutes later, I had been the first dividing protocell. I had been, you know, this was just on the breath work, just on that practice I just described. And it had been, you know, years and years and years of putting in an intention. And it was, that was the moment. It was December 30th, 2013. And it just came. I, I, I flowed with the protocells. I was, I saw the entire path of molecular evolution all the way up to dividing cells from the, the first simple assembled lipid sacs with random polymers, the whole process. And it was all communal. That was the most amazing role for human psychology and spirituality is that this is what Deepak was so interested mm-hmm. in, was we didn't start as individuals at all. There was never an individual at the origin of life. It was a network community. And that was the unit and it has been the unit since, an interdependent community network. And it was called the Progenote by Carl Woese in his 1977 paper one, um, it was an amazing paper, predicted the third branch of life, the archaea. And we, we're on the path of the progenote now. If we can grow those in the lab and, and show a, a simple protocellular entity struggling forward in evolution toward life, we'll know how we began. But we began as this uh, community system. So that's what we're holding to roll in the 2020s as Einstein rolled relativity into the 1920s, the greatest decade really in terms of modernizing society was the 1920s in the last century. And it's the Bauhaus and electronic trading and women's liberation and all that happened in the 20s. And in the 2020s, out of this morass of nonsense, right, we can roll this powerful new idea from science that we, we started as a communal unit. We are as a synergistic communal unit, and it comes out of straight out of empirical science, hard-nosed, freaking reductionist chemistry. You know, just like relativity proved in 1919 by the eclipse, you know, hard-nosed science. I mean, these are not woo people, and that will help us roll out of one very, very damaging meme that the madre once grabbed my shirt collar, and I was wearing a shirt collar, she grabbed my shirt collar and said, your man Darwin got it right, but you interpreted it this wrong. You mm-hmm. you now know how you were made, but you put the wrong language to it, and that's survival of the fittest. And it's destroying you, and it's destroying your world. Get over it. So I was shown another way to describe evolution through this origin model, and it was a lifting and gifting. So as each level is subject to stress it's like a grid over your little struggling protocells and then one struggles up through that grid of stress and reproduces and and passes those jewels of evolution along and then there's another stress that comes down and then another one but not the original struggles its way and gifts its innovation this is actually how evolution works and it's a community lifting against all these odds and against the stress that's applied to it. And this is like the Madre or Gaia or whatever's way of bringing us into being, right? And this is a whole new way of seeing how we came into being. And it's powerful and it's actually in coher- you know, coherence with the actual science. 
and but it'll roll philosophy and spiritual thought and things like that. that's what Deepak was interested in. Yeah. So end of a long diatribe here. <laughs> I love it. So moving on, Carrie looks that like you you are ready to to add something beautiful to the discussion. Yeah, sure. Um, I'd like to just go back to what, what you were saying um, about um, people that are addicted to opiates and, and other substances that they're trying to get to a place where they're feeling good. I believe that it's um, it starts from a disconnection from source energy and then... Um, the ultimate pain. Yeah, and mm. then when they have um, these sort of substances, it um, re- releases certain neurotransmitters that makes you connect it back Feel to one source. Event, yeah. Or chemically feel like you're connecting back to source. So Exactly. Yeah, that's um, that's the way I like to look at addiction. Yeah, I know that, that it's Gabramont, Dr. Gabramonte has said that at the root of all addiction is some trauma, right? And it could be said that that original trauma is the feeling of separation, right? Mm. It is this loss of oneness. Lack of meaningful connection, feeling alone. Those are horrific things to ponder in the night. Mm. Or an emotion that you don't want to feel, you know, and um, you want to bury it so much. So the way I look at alcohol is it's... Um, it numbs it's, you. It's a preservative and it locks yeah. in a vibration if you look at how... You use it other than drinking. It holds in that vibration. So somebody that's really addicted and um, they have that huge trauma that's underlying that, if they stop drinking, um, all these old emotions start coming up. And then if you don't have a support system around you, it actually makes you go really crazy and suicidal. So that's what the 12-step program is about, um, giving you that support system around you. But what I like so much about ayahuasca and um, ibogaine and some of those other substances is when when you ingest them, um, all these traumas and emotions call, come up at once. You just purge it right out into the bucket. So you just feel it all and let it go. You don't have it all bubbling up and trying to trying to work through it and hmm. slowly and painfully. Mm-hmm. It's it's quick and effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all all is revealed. It doesn't matter what you hide from yourself. You know, I, one thing I like to tell people too is that, and it's certainly been uh, the case for myself and my wife is that you don't get the kitchen sink thrown at you on day one. So it's not like, well, I've got so much shit that I had to deal with growing up. I don't want to relive all that. I don't want to see all that. It you don't get everything all at once. You get what you need when you can handle it. And things often come in layers and you continue to learn that each experience is different. It's not the same experience each time. It's never the same. And one big item associated with addiction is what you resist persists. And so a a lot of issues around abuse of drugs are actually having to do with not wanting to look at what's coming up to the surface. Here's that feeling that I don't want to deal with. Here's the, the thoughts, the memory I don't want to confront. So I'm going to do something that takes my mind into a different direction. It only works to a point. You know, it always comes back. The withdrawal always comes. The hitting rock bottom, the euphoria always comes back. It's, 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 we're hardwired not to be able to escape from it because I think 
that that sort of ties into what you said earlier when you started talking, uh, Bruce, um, that there's a child in us that was injured at some point, and it may have been the point of separation from the womb mm. as sort of like a mm. physical metaphor for being separated from source, from oneness, from the goddess, however you want to fill in your own blank on that matter. But, but um, that trauma is alive and it's breathing or that part of you is alive and it's breathing. And I think in talk therapy or in traditional therapeutic approaches where you here and now are asked to deal with the issues that are, that keep on coming up and you keep on rejecting or as a, as a defense mechanism. Hmm. Uh, as soon as the, it bubbles up, red alert goes off and something comes to protect you from it. And it serves you to a point when you seven, when you two, when you five, you don't have the capacity to deal with that level of pain and the meaning behind it. By the time you're grown, it's a different story. You have resources, you have, you can ask for help. There's different ways to manage it. But, but I, I have found the, 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 the cathartic thing happens when you address the part locked in time mm of when the trauma actually happened. So call it regression, call it using your own imagination to, to, to talk to that part of you, to be, in other words, give your kid what it needed to cope, to survive, what it never got. Because you is all it has. So... I think once that happens, mm. cathartic release and meaning can come out of that and you can you can step out on the other side where you don't have to rely on a substance to keep a lid on it. So what you resist persists is sort of like a guiding mantra, mm. at least in terms of dealing with my own pains and, and, and dramas and traumas. Mm. And so I don't try to run from it anymore. I mean, you know, sometimes I still do, but... You know, it, every layer that comes up, it may be in an ibogaine session or in, in, you know, it's always been a process over many years. Sometimes you, I resolve one layer and then there's like three more, it's like peeling an onion or something <laughs> like that. And it's not necessarily fun and comfortable, you know, but over time and looking back and, and making it, it real and present is, has sort of like been a, a good approach. And and it's interesting that substances can facilitate that and suppress that, mm. depending on your intention. Mm. And so your intention is actually a big part of how you you, you can open and, and set a direction for endotripping. And I think you pointed that out. You do that at times when you want to resolve an issue. You set an intention and then you either use a technique or a substance and see what happens. And 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 be open to receiving the solution. And in you know, from what I hear, it's, it's the solutions are coming. And what you said was so beautiful that in fact, in in our luminous practice, we call it's all called parts work. That's from another practice that these are parts, and that you can be the parent of your part. You can give it the love what it needs, like the singing or the, and and you have the power. 
to to heal and help that part. See, that's to me is the ultimate yeah. endo tripping, or at least one big aspect of it, mm-hmm. is especially in the healing sphere. Not so much in the exploratory or, or opening new doors to new possibilities, but but in the context of healing and dealing with past trauma, I think it's a it's a nice way yeah. of putting it. Yeah. And then there's the lineage. Then there's the things that happen generations over generations, and now we're we're coming into an understanding that's real, hmm. and it, it passes down, and it's so powerful. It's the emerging science of epigenetics is making it very clear that mm-hmm. past traumas are passed down at to for several generations to where specific gene expressions are either switched on or switched off. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go beyond a certain number of generations, but it does have an impact. Yeah. It's an excellent book called The Mind-Body Code. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about that, that they verified at least three to four generations deep mm-hmm. and they've studied on the epigenetic level Holocaust survivors mm-hmm. and have seen their children who didn't go through the Holocaust had the exact same genetic expressions. Mm-hmm. A lot of mm-hmm. a lot of science coming out backing that. Mm-hmm. And also the, the the internal architecture of mind that often is seen in people dealing with the trauma of poverty. It's like a a a, a, a a, um, a consciousness, a poverty consciousness, if you will, that that is passed down, uh, that's akin to passing it down genetically, but bringing the mind-body aspect into the picture. It's sort of like um, genes are usually thought of in terms of biology, but what I'm talking about is the 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 epigenetic passing down of mental structures that keep you locked in mm. into scarcity and into uh, n- making it very difficult to reach levels of abundances that other people seem to enjoy with ease. And that's just one context. Mm. Um, um, mental emotional architectures are, are spaces. And, you know, they're not all right or wrong. It's just that that when you find yourself in one space, you have this particular experience, you have these these difficulties and you have these uh, uh, strength uh, and, and, and um, abilities. And, and if you don't like what you see and what you experience, you need to shift that internal structure if you want to see change. And, and that's another arena where endotripping can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like take an inventory of the attitudes, the beliefs, the choices and decisions and the thoughts and the feelings that I'm having that I'm constantly repeating, that I'm, I'm, I'm the one sustaining them, even though I may not be conscious of it, although you can make it conscious. And then realizing, oh, these are my boundaries that I set with, with all these structures given to me by my past traumas, by all the socialization, by my parents, by my upbringing, whatever it is. And when you make a shift on the, from the inside out, that's when your experience starts to shift. Your emotions and your thoughts and your feelings will respond to making different choices and changing your beliefs. And that's, to me, one of the most fascinating uh, perspectives in terms of looking at endotripping. And the, the key is the, the little observer crystal sphere. Because, say, there's an example from the 1970s, primal scream therapy which was tremendously cathartic. So it was at Esalen, it was at people who would just primal scream. 
But what it tended to do, it opened people to uh, the ability to do it, right? To, to express all that from deep down. But they stayed with the screen. They attached to the primal release and bring them right back like a Ferris wheel ride or like a roller coaster ride back. And they were exactly where they were. Mm, they didn't let go of it. Well, here's the thing. The, the simple shift, and this actually comes from Tibetan Buddhism, really from sort of Dzogchen, really, is let the primal screen happen, but observe it. Watch it. Create the, you know, the observer watches the primal screen, experiences it in an unjudgmental way. That's where healing can start. This, this, this is what I find interesting about using cannabis in a therapeutic fashion, because it allows you to bring up otherwise intolerable emotional material to the surface and be with it in a relaxed and open mm. and and mm. exploratory uh, frame of mind, perspective, however you want to look at it. And, and just in many cases, just being with things that you normally would suppress can be therapeutic by itself. You can take it a lot further and, and, and look at specific details in terms of your internal constructs and take them apart. Like if I all of a sudden realize that I have a particular belief that says um, that gay people are committing uh, by just being a, a crime against God, and that forces my my anger to to boil, and and I will actually like the the, the power of that anger, the, mm. the sense of being righteous in the eyes of my fundamentalist God. You know, it's not just right, but it's also giving me a sense of power. And once you step back from that and you actually just observe that and you actually get to see, oh, my God, look at this. This is what I do. This is a structure. This is not right or wrong. This is just what happens. This is just what I do. And look at what it does to my health, my blood pressure. Oh, I have, con I have blood pressure problems, my heart. I have irregularities. Mm -hmm. Whenever I, you know, and all of a sudden, if you place it in that meaning and you take it apart and you make as even a subtle shift in choices in terms of, uh, you know, creating a different expression of, of, of how to deal with something that normally would set you off, pushes your button, triggers you. Mm -hmm. Just a subtle shift in making a slightly different choice can, can, can be a cathartic thing and, and get you into a completely new direction. And that itself can be very empowering. To, to realize that, oh, wait a minute, you know, this is me, or this is how I normally react. And, and now I see some of the reasons behind it on, and why I like it. And, and it affects my body and it affects it in, in a way that maybe not that healthy. So if I want to make some different, if I want to create a different experience and if I want to improve my health, I'm going to have to shift some and try something new, shift, shift my choices about how I'm going to look upon this. And, and oftentimes when people do it, you know, they have different experiences. And that's when deep change tends to happen, you know, with this type of endotripping. And, 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 and cannabis is fascinating that way because especially when you set the intention, it can be very revelatory. And in that sense, I think it's one of the best explanations on, on, on why cannabis can be an exit drug, mm -hmm. especially, you know, used with that, you know, with that intention. So an in exit mind. of looping conditions and... 
addiction, addiction, to, addiction to, to, and to not anything. just drugs, but the sense of power that I get from my righteous ah, anger that I throw at okay. the people I love to hate. Like in my case, I love to hate warmongers and war profiteers mm-hmm. and people who don't care about the environment and just want to make a quick buck. And it just gets me righteously angry. And, and I, I'm speaking from experience. I looked at that having, having smoked some cannabis by trying to resolve this in some way that that is different from the way I've o- always done it. Mm. And it just I just realized like I really like the sense of righteousness. <laughs> and, and it fuels my identity and it's like I get a kick out of it and and it's part of the problem because it just creates an me versus them and a separation and we were just talking about you know one of the 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 primordial issues with addiction to anything, including sense of power, is a, 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 a lack of separation from from source. You know where those issues of duality and 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 one fighting another are are, are not an issue. And so it, it's it's part of. Um, um, uh, how endotripping can be used, uh, you know, uh, without having to use a substance, just by going in and and looking at the internal architecture of your mind, what what thoughts and feelings and emotions they engender, and then seeing if you like them, if you like to feel this way, and if you don't, then then you know what, what to work with and with, and, and how yeah, to get started. A useful metaphor that came to me actually in the early stages of my Aya experience, was the kindergarten teacher. So I, I went on my first meeting with her up into this space where she showed me the entire uh, reactor cores firing at each other. Like they were the collective unconscious. And there was one ball that was like kind of stress and anxiety and fear. And there was one ball that was mind. There was one ball that was the heart. And there was this cycle of these reactors just completely out of control. And the madre was like, I can't get in between them. I can't. It's too big. It's too big. This is my problem. This is what you're all feeding this system. And she was pretty spectacular to watch, but she showed me that this is the problem right here. And that was sort of, after I was sort of guided into that energy that blue energy space by the blue morpho. Mm. There's a whole there's a whole story behind that. But as the tractor beam was pulling me away from that high place, I said, "But what do I do? You know what? This was beautiful. This was stunning to see this." And she said, "Look down. Look inside you now." And I looked down, and it was a kindergarten, and there was little bees running around, and there was one was strangling another little kid was red-faced and it was like the heart was being strangled by the mind and then there was a raging kid at the corner and then there was another one that was just completely out of control and she said this is your problem work on this don't contribute to my problem my overall problem do your work and i i spoke down to the little kids like Time out. You know, kindergarten teachers say time, and parents say time out. And they stopped. And I was liberated. Oh, my God. Like, they stopped. And I said, okay, I'm, 
you sit over there and you sit over here and we're going to have story time. And the whole system. And then the whole time, the whole rest of the, the days, I, I came up with this metaphor of the school bus. And so little little mind, little ego plus mind, they, they created this bond. Like ego was like, we're not good enough. We're not being recognized. And mind was like, I'm so smart. You know, we're not good enough. Not, I'm so smart. You know, everything. And so something would happen and then they would take over. They would try to take the steering wheel of the bus. Like, we're going this way. You know, like, no, 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 I'm driving the bus. I'll take it under advisement. Thank you for your advice. Thank you again, because you just said it again and again. They said it again. I've taken it under advisement. We may go that way. But there's a buffer. I'm not taking immediate action based on what anyone wants in this school bus. And and we're driving. I'm driving. And then they all calm down. They're all sitting in their right seats. And the whole system, like it fell. And it was so nice. And at one point, they got all active again. And I felt it was like a restaurant at that point. <laughs> like I was now a restaurant, right? And the dishwashing was happening and the food. And there was like bickering and position. Like pecking order was happening because these entities had been liberated and they'd been seen individually for the first time. And I could see them clearly. <clears throat> and I said to my friend, my, my buddy Mateo, and I said, I'm going to fire them all. You know, it's my restaurant. It's under new management. I'm firing them all. And he said, no, they, you can't. They live in your house. Give them different jobs. And so really, that's what it comes down. The protector that's protecting the wound, that's doing the cycling. And they're all, they're all beautiful beings. They've all done a beautiful job to get you this far. And you can give them new jobs. And when you, when you liberate the wound, the protector which became really good at its job, becomes a superpower in the world. And as we roll people through medicines, through many practices, through energetic healings, to liberate from, from those wounds, instantly the protector becomes this amazingly capable and competent, but clear, not burdened superpower. So we make Jedis. We create Jedi after <laughs> Jedi after Jedi. Love that. And, and guess what? Uh, the uh, Jedi's need the Empire to develop their power, right? So we've got to... Otherwise, their chi would never flow to the point where they could do that. They could do that. So this craziness is, an, again, it's our evolutionary strategy, mm -hmm. and we now have the tools to make the Jedi's. And the Jedi's are on the return. It's not just Yoda with his, his funny Elizabeth, Elizabethan English, you know, and this and that. But, I mean, uh, the Jedi's are on the move now. And they're so strong and so clear and they're so beautiful and they're everywhere. They're coming out of the millennials like crazy and the pre post millennials, whatever those are called, they're coming, they're, they're there, they're, they're all around. And as we join hands with them, as we, we link to them, you know, what happened here last weekend was we had Ralph Abraham and his history project from Santa Cruz here. And these are like, the mother that created the home birth movement, people who created the first organic farms in the United States, people who did civic action to block the San Lorenzo Valley Freeway project so that we could preserve this valley against 
rampant developers who carpeted America with shopping malls and, you know, created this bland, crazy world. And these were the counterculture figures that brought humanity into civic government, into birth, into food, um, everything. I mean, they, they, they emerged a lot, largely um, from the Bay Area, but Santa Cruz was a center of it. And, of course, the first acid test happening here, <laughs> which the government of Santa Cruz dedicated a freaking bus stop as a memorial to, right? So, so what happened was they were, wanted to have another meeting here to develop a new book, the, the third volume of Hip, Hip Santa Cruz History Project. I said, hey, there are these, these co-ops. And, and I met Valerie Clemmer, who runs the Manzanita Co-op in the Haight-Ashbury. And they're trying to bring back the, the power of the 60s and of liberation and of the opening of consciousness that happened into the summer of love. And they're just tr- attracted to that magnetically and they're studying the history. Why don't they come down and be here? So they were here all weekend with the elders, the guy with the 1964 Dodge Dart with push button transmission, who is the largest collector of vinyl <coughs> albums in the freaking world of rock bands and that whole thing and the originals. I mean, the masters, the press masters, he was here. And like, I watched that this magic happened here of this cross-generational mixing of the old Jedi masters, true Jedi masters. I mean, Ralph Abraham, you know, is one and the new Jedi millennials and with all their tools, they have all these tools that they didn't have in 1967. <clears throat> the, the tools that we just, you talk about on your podcast. It's amazing. So we mix the generations and we we do this over and over and over again. We're powering up a really powerful generation that I, I don't think anything can stop it. I think we're going to create a beautiful world like Charles Eisenstein says, we're going to create the beautiful world we all want to be a part of. We are, we, and we are doing that. But isn't it true that, I mean, Charles also says that that we live currently in an age of separation, as, mm. as Uwe was saying. Yeah. And um, I'm the program director for a cannabis compassion program. And, you know, in thinking about folks who are chronically ill, intractably ill, terminally ill, um, these are folks who sadly are very far on the spectrum from from what you're describing, mm. Bruce, and what you're describing, Uwe, these, these somewhat... We'd like them to not be advanced techniques, but in some ways, for some people, they're very far from where their current reality is. Mm. And in dealing with, I mean, my window into cannabis and a lot of the the concept of dialing is through my Crohn's disease, which manifested when I was quite young at the time of a major family trauma. So I don't think there's any accident. And I certainly feel informed personally that that these traumas um, become held in the body. And for, for, for folks who are working through these issues, um, I think it was interesting because at the time that Bruce and I were talking about the, the little book of Endo, I think in reflecting back on that time, I think we were having some trouble conceptually placing it mm. within a frame mm. to ultimately help it form as a, a book and a conveyance of the wisdom to a wider audience. Mm. That was something that we could explore and talk about. But but even me hearing it as a new concept, it's something that was like, 
I got to spend some time and wrap my brain around this. And, and I've been doing that, but, but I think where it came together was when in working with Uba and working with patients, you know, the light bulb was the fact that endotripping is really at one end of a spectrum. And at the other end of the spectrum are, are folks who are often desperately ill physically, potentially mentally, mentally, spiritually. And what Uva's forthcoming book um, that is coming out later this year, um, which birthed the project that, that we're working on, is a step-by-step process that is based in science that allows someone to dial in cannabis um, to address not only their needs, but also to optimize themselves from, from where they're starting from. And as Uva, you, you put it so well earlier that with, with opioids, it's that pathway out of that that allows one to address the worst of the withdrawal symptoms, but then walk back through the ratios, um, but then move toward using breath work, using yoga, using various modalities that you can move toward exogenous from exogenous to endogenous. Um, but, but kind of, I, I would think a, lo- a lot of the audience um, may get these concepts. But you know, I'm a Gen Xer, like Charles Eisenstein, and he and I have talked about this age of separation and how we move toward the more beautiful world, how we achieve what he calls interbeing, which is just like you said, and Carrie, you said it too, is that connection with the source and that ultimate connection. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get to that primordial state of community once again? where we began. And I think that, you know, I grew up and really came of age in the seventies and eighties. And while I was born in the late sixties at this time of great shift in our culture, um, ultimately the eighties were quite a cynical time. And I think that's a bit of a hallmark of our generation, but there's also a great longing, I think in, in people today, I hear, I hear people want solutions and for people who are dealing with illness, they, there's a need, I feel, to transcend um, what Western medicine is offering and move towards something. And that's why I think coming together and codifying this, this spectrum, moving through, utilizing not only cannabis as a plant ally, but, but the basket of possibilities there to move out of addictive conditions and the Ferris wheel, where they end up back where they started after treatment to actually move toward a process where they're learning new techniques. Because I think in our society, we've labeled them woo. Mm-hmm. We've, we've put them in a, in a, these are, we may not um, criminalize them, though we have with cannabis, but we have made them so they are socially unpalatable mm-hmm. for people. But like you said, Bruce, that, that situation culturally is, is opening up, is opening up very quickly. And I think the cynicism is is being transcended by the desire for a shift. And that's what's so exciting to me, that the work, whether it's around cannabinoids or the entourage effect with terpenes and terpenoids, and then bringing in those other techniques that work for the individual, um, there's just a lot of people who are very hungry for that recipe that is often very personal. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's also true for other patient population outside of that slice we talked about in terms of addiction. There's especially chronic condition. There's like hundreds of chronic conditions in which engaging the endocannabinoid system through an external uh, substance like, uh, you know, the various chemotypes of cannabis or endotripping and using your own endogenous cannabinoids to therapeutically uh, facilitate healing. Uh, and and But it, what chronic patients know is that the silver bullet approach from that started when Western medicine, with especially with the advent of antibiotics, was given. You know, this is the this is how we're going to do it. We don't have to deal with with issues around why I got gonorrhea. You know, we don't have to deal with sexual guilt. We don't have to deal with the trauma of it. We just take a shot, and boom. You know, we we we're free and clear of the bacteria. And then, you know, it, you, you, if you don't deal with the issue and if you don't deal with the underlying causes, it can happen again with your next partner and your next partner. And if it's not gonorrhea, it might be syphilis. And if it's not that, it, 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 it may be other things until you get to look at, you know, the, the, the shadow on, of the, 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 the mountain of uh, Aphrodite. You know, it's like the, the issues that are at the core of, of sexual guilt, for example. And this is, you know, using a, a, an example of venereal diseases, but, but um, chronic patients know that. Chronic patients know that you can't just take a silver bullet and, and undo the core of what ails you at a deeper level. It's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some inner work. It's going to take patient participation. You can't just, you know... And that's a shift. That's a big shift and that's in our a big, culture. It, you know, and it's because doctors are still held as an authority figure, and mm. for many, it's the doctor says do this, and it, it's done unquestioningly. Now that's shifted from the fifties and the sixties when that was, you know, held sort of sacrosanct that doctors doctors' orders. So now people are, you know, I've seen it personally where my doctors used to. My gastroenterologist used to examine me physically, but now my gastroenterologist often sees me across a desk. So we've we've even lost that connection. Mm -hmm. So for people who are tuning in to really the holistic scope of, of what the real pathway is, they see that they need to dial in their, their diet. They need to dial in their awareness of breath. They need to dial in their awareness of emotion and emotional self-control. And, and as you say, Uva, which I think is wonderful, what is the quality of their self-talk? And that ultimately, I think there's more and more tools available. And I think the technology, as you've said, the technology that we've, that, that serpent's eye that we've made available to us is, is a tool, is a tool for, for a quick spreading of this new awareness and of these ideas, these concepts. Because they're just doing the work directly with patients. There's so many people who are suffering greatly and are just looking for the exit door, just to find a path to, you know, toward homeostasis and ultimately um, to a better place. I want Uva to unpack a little bit because, I mean, uh, one question that I get frequently, uh, and I'm sure you do as well, especially being here in California, is like, where do I start? 
you know, and certainly we can unpack that. That question can go a lot of ways, but I want to talk specifically about cannabis for a second. And then where do I start with some of the, the endo tripping, right? But where, where would people start with cannabis? I know that's a blanket statement. There is no one size fits all diet. There's certainly no one size fits all cannabis approach, but what are some good pointers in the right direction for people? Well, in terms of combining endo tripping, you know, for those that are already on that side of the spectrum, those that want to use different techniques and cannabis to open up the space to perhaps look deeper. I think I think one of the really great tools uh, to use is to ask yourself the question, what is the symptom? And just pick one for starters, if you have more than one. What is the symptom that you're working on in this session, keeping you from doing? And then ask yourself, how do you feel about that? And then use that feeling like the needle of a compass pointing north to see where it takes you and then go into the inside of that feeling and see what emerges as far as a memory that shows up, a little kid that's screaming, you know, a silent scream that has never been given the, the, the attention that it needs uh, all kinds of things can can be revealed if you just do that. Ask yourself, how do I feel about what the symptom is keeping me from doing? And then follow that feeling, you know, to see where it comes from. What's its point of origin? And, and, and that will get you into a pretty intense endo trip. And uh, in terms of the, the physical characteristics of the various types of cannabis uh, most people who are in states where they need a prescription they go to the doctor and the doctor gives them a recommendation for cannabis and then they go to a dispensary and and they are overwhelmed with thousands of different strains and different forms and different uh, uh, different versions of, of cannabis and different cannabis-containing products. So where do they start? At least if you're given a, a prescription for a Zoloft or an Ambien or any other pharmaceutical, you go to a pharmacy and, and you know right where it is and you know how one pill is different from the, from the next. And so I think one of the, the, the best ways to, to, to look at the different types of cannabis is using the distinction of chemotypes. And there's only three basic chemotypes of cannabis. And But just knowing what the differences are and what the differences with regards to the effects that they produce will allow you to take agency over what kind of cannabis experience you want to have. And even if... Um, I, what's unique about cannabis is that there are several plant constituents that can produce similar effects, but by different means. And that statement will become important once you heard the three different types of cannabis. So let me just very briefly tell you what the three different chemotypes are. A chemotype one basically contains more THC than CBD. And those are the two prime cannabinoids that tend to occur in significant amounts in most species of cannabis. And they create very different effects. 
uh, a chemotype 2 contains a relative equal amount of THC and CBD, and a chemotype 3 contains way more CBD than it contains THC. THC, high amounts of THC will affect your cognition, will get you high, will get you stoned, can create fantastic exploratory inner journeys, endotripping, can also be responsible for the worst kind of anxiety or panic attack that you can think of. Uh, a chemo, there are very specific, specific patient populations that benefit from a chemo type 1. And we already talked about one group of patients, and that's um, opioid ad addicts. They tend to need high strain CBDs in order to get the shakes to stop to get the dysphoria. Yeah. There's also a, a, a patients who, you know, <clears throat> who have um, uh, anorexia or cachexia due to HIV or, or AIDS um, progressions. And so to use a chemotype 1 in that context to to increase the ability to keep food down, to actually enjoy food, to 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 take the munchies to a therapeutic level, if you will. Th those people need need THC, and there's a number of other patient populations that need that particular kind. But what if you're one of them, one of those patients that need to operate heavy machinery and you can't use THC, you can't have changes in cognition, then chemotype 2 will 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 present itself as a more balanced option with equal amounts of THC and CBD. And CBD has, has shown to actually uh, uh, temper some of the cognitive shifts that occur with THC. So it's a good balance can create a very different experience. And like patients with uh, MS, for example, who have the terrible shakes, it can make a significant difference in, in a number of, of uh symptoms for patients suffering from multiple sclerosis. There's some pharmaceutical companies that have brought to the market a sublingual spray that's used by millions of uh, patients suffering from multiple sclerosis. But there's also strains that are in, you know, uh, they have one-to-one -one ratios you can use to, to, to make cookies or to make chocolate or to smoke. And then there is the, the third one with very little THC and high amounts of CBD, which will not produce any changes, changes in cognition. They literally will not get you stoned, but what they will do is they will gently uplift your affect. Or uh, in, in other words, they will gently expand you creating a trend towards expansive emotional materials. So they will make it easier to unfold a sense of gratitude or happiness or a lightheartedness or a mirthfulness. And, and by just knowing the difference about what does one do, what does two do, and what does three do, makes a big difference in, in, in determining what kind of experience you want to have. And it's the, the first step in dialing in the, the type of cannabis that is getting you to, to, uh, on your path towards optimal health, no matter where you are with your condition. If you use it just to expand your, your consciousness, to have an adventure, or if you're using it therapeutically because you're, you're a patient who needs it. It, it starts with making that discernment. And also the dosage level. So one of the issues that as a group became clear was in the cannabis industry, there's this sort of completely irregularity in terms of known dosage, of, especially in edibles. 
And so people take two, three, four blueberries and they have a terrible experience on edible cannabis for the first time and they never go back. So the whole populations are opted out of, of the benefits, you know, because they, they don't know the, the chemotype and they don't know the actual dosage and the quality of the product itself. So one of the, the goals of Canakees as a venture is to create literally an app uh, that is a dialer. Uh, it's, it's basically the dose dialer, we call it, the dose dial app, that you literally could go into a dispensary or to, if you're ordering online, if you can order online, you can literally dial the app and say, I have these needs, I have a sleep problem, or I have a, all these conditions that we're mentioning, or I just uh, you know, have an anxiety issue, and the app will literally dial in sort of a circular dial and take you to the right chemotype and start you low and then recommend uh, the highest quality products that have been certified and, and tested. So you have a pathway in. And whether you're walking into the dispensary and the dispensary is using that or you're using that, so you can approach it with caution and the best possible advice from these fantastic books that Uwe's put together and the huge database that is behind all this in the Kankies database. So there's a there's a pitch for for the venture and why uh, we're sort of all sitting here as well. And we thought it would be of value to bring. So the venture's in its early early phases, but uh, we think it's very valuable for humanity. Because it not only creates the the step by step process, so people can understand where to start and how to dial in with subsequent passes, but with just say no and the war on drugs and kind of the the stigma that's been with cannabis, especially there's there's no shared language to actually engage for many people who've been on the sidelines. We've luck been lucky to have a cannabis culture here in California. But we still have not gotten to the point where there's a shared language of healing, which is um, what Uva especially put together over many decades of research. Um, and that's that's one of the things that we're hoping for is to share, have that shared language that can allow relatively new folks who've heard and seen some of the science about what cannabis can do for their condition, and they can know where to start and engage um, in a dispensary and identify a product that can help. Um, but the industry still has to move a bit too, because not only are there issues with dosing for the patient, there's issues with inadequate dosing of, with products in the market. In other words, for cancer patients, there's, there isn't necessarily products on the market that can give them the doses, higher doses that they need to actually be efficacious for their condition. But ultimately this process of of understanding chemotype as opposed to phenotype or strain, which will shift its chemotype profile from harvest to harvest, depending on condition. Um, chemotype and subratio and understanding form, dose, entourage effect, and ultimately your own subjective experience to cannabis. That's that's the process that people need to go through. And ultimately, we're, we're trying to educate the greater society on what cannabis can do from a point that will shift maybe people who are doubtful, which is the science. So we're, we think it's an exciting possibility here to bring this, this shared language out to people because I think that they're pretty curious. Yeah. And it's completely necessary. You know that, I mean, all of us know people that have 
gone too deep uh, and then didn't enjoy the experience. And, and <laughs> of all, my wife the same, of all of our experiences with psychedelics and plant medicines, uh, nothing is more scary than having too much cannabis. I mean, to, to, to both of us, there's, there's no doubt. So for people that are in a place where it's legal or maybe not, and you roll the dice, um, to have that experience go awry and to not revisit something that can have such tremendous benefit to our health and well-being, um, even at the physical level, you know, like, like that's something we, we, we've been talking a lot about the mental, emotional and uh, the pain body with Eckhart Tolle. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with that language, A New Earth is one of my absolute favorite books. But um, the physical level, they've talked about that in the culture high. Uh, there's a Japanese scientist at uh, UCSF who was giving, and this ties into the opioid addiction, he was giving THC to terminally ill cancer patients uh, to see if it could reduce their opiate use. And he found that it cut it at least in half, and it was a big deal. And then, of course, with the, the old dogma attached to cannabis, all right, let's see how this is destroying the brain, because we know THC makes you dumb. And as he looked at that, he realized, like, oh, this is this is showing neuroprotective benefits. This is clearing out amyloid beta plaque in the brain. Mm. And where are there applications for that? Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. Mm. Like just a, like now we're opening up entire new fields of research with cannabis on a physical level of healing to the body. You know, that, that previously we thought maybe this is a double-edged sword where I might feel a little bit better mentally and emotionally, but that comes at a price. Now we we know that these things are are of a huge benefit to us and that there is some synergy with the plants. There is some beautiful, we're in this beautiful orchestra that whatever has created it has, has brought all this thing. These things are here on purpose by design, you know, not by happenstance. If you think about it is endogenous cannabinoid receptors inside the human body evolved some hundreds of millions of years ago, and all mammals share them. We co literally co-evolved with with cannabis, you know, to, and with opioids too. Except cannabinoid receptors are a few hundred million years younger. Opioids receptors are actually a little bit older in the in the big scope of things. But to date, we have up to two hundred conditions for which uh, engaging your endocannabinoid system shows therapeutic potential. And, and we, we talked about it earlier. There, there are some terpenes, which is, you know, just one of the steps of dialing in the, the, the ideal type of cannabis for you. Uh, you can use a, an isolated terpene and apply it to, for a number of different patient populations. The one we talked about earlier was uh, that of uh, footnail fungus. It's a very stubborn condition, very pernicious, and, and, and it, it affects all of millions of people in the United States alone. And, and Western medicine has literally no cure for it. If it works, it may take a year or longer, and, and there's no guarantee that it isn't coming back you know, two months later. Plus, you have the, the monetary expense, which is significant, and potential adverse effects. Here is a uh, – there are several um, – uh, studies that made it very clear that a, a, a single terpene that occurs in, in high concentration in cannabis named beta-caryophylline, a, a little topical application for a couple of weeks can knock it straight out. And, and it's, it's literally 
cost pennies. It goes in deep systemically, even though you you apply it topically, and and it makes makes shifts in in a fraction of a time of what uh, uh, traditional orthodox pharmacological approaches uh, uh, do, and so it's it's fascinating the 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 emerging field of the cannabinoid health sciences of what they've brought to the table with regards to producing hope in a field of chronic conditions where all you up to now you could have hoped for is managing with ever larger lists of pharmaceuticals. So it's it's a fascinating new field. And, and I think one of the reasons why it works so well on so many different patient populations is because it affects the body and the mind in such a way as to fortify your capacity for self-healing, which is in, in no small part due to the fact that it dials you in and, and endotrips you to a core issue. And once resolution happens at that level, then the external, which is often just um, a a message from the innate intelligence of your body, Mm. and depending on severity, either is an invitation or demand for change. Once you address that change inside of you at at its deepest level, the symptom literally loses its purpose for existence. And it, 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 it will most likely quick, quickly disappear. That is, to me, a fascinating uh, potential as we look forward into uh, providing more hope to people who would otherwise wouldn't have any. So this next book is going to be titled what? It's going to be called uh, Healing Yourself with Cannabis, uh, Achieving and Sustaining the Effects You Want. We're thinking of maybe dialing in uh, and uh, (laughs) the effects you want, but we're not quite sure yet. It's coming out in October. 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 Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Very quickly. I like that. Thank you. I love it, guys. It's been it's been excellent. And your app, this is a startup. It'll be an app. That that's that gonna is take a little while longer. The the app is in process now and we are working to um reform our database. To, to which will inform the app with the studies um, and some of the detail that, that Uva just, you know, beta-caryophylline studies, studies on Alzheimer's that show the neuroprotective qualities and the plaque-reducing qualities. So um, we're working on those. We'd, we're working to have um, a launch of the app around the time of the release of the book. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's, that's the plan. As it stands, so we're I mean, we're working hard to make that happen because we've we want to um, do this outreach in multiple forms: in book form, um, through the app, through a website, um, with various ways on that. Because um, we feel it's important to reach um, all different types of populations, whether they've been through a portal where endo tripping it feels accessible to them, or whether they're someone who've been really on the sidelines. With, with psychoactives or, or cannabis, some of those plant allies, but they see the science, they feel the culture shifting and they want to step in. We want to reach all those people. And so, um, yeah, that multimedia approach is, um, we're excited, but we're working on it. That's awesome. Well, I'd like to open up as uh, my buddy Kyle Terman says, if there's uh, any anything anyone else would like to add in before we wrap up. Please do. If not, we'll just circle around and, and see where uh, people can reach you on social media, websites, podcasts. 
a thread I'd like to add is how we can create group healing fields together. So through sharing this knowledge and also through supporting each other in holding our intentions and then having the integration of these experiences together and how we can create safe space and witnessing each other in our evolution. And I think that that is the way that we can help each other co-evolve. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Ross. Here, here. Awesome. Well, let's go back around. We'll start with Uva. Where can people... uh... Uh, just go to the cannabishealthindex.com and you'll have the uh, data bank at your fingertips. It's free. It's the 1.0. So it's not what we just talked about, which will be the, the newer version of it. But uh, it currently contains about a thousand studies relevant to 180 or so different chronic conditions. And people are welcome to browse through it and see what they can learn and and uh, if it fits for them or for one or uh, more people that they care about, and if it helps, it'll be great. And then, of course, you, you know, if you want to shoot me an email, it's uh, just click on the email button and and you go straight to my uh, my home. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, <laughs> Raz. Raz, you can find Razma at www dot ma that's the portal <laughs> you can find carrie at carriebaron.com it's k-a-r-i-b-a-r-r-o-n and there's a wealth of information on there on to show how you can track um cause causes of diseases on many different levels and how to release those um and also another field of work that i do um called learning enhancement acupressure program it's a way to track um, which neural pathways are blocked and it's really effective at helping children with learning disabilities and adults um yeah so that's me bruce i'm i'm easy uh um www.damer.com or bruce at damer.com and Joe Rogan warned me not to read my email address on the air, but I just did it again. <laughs> and, and I'd love it if you'd listen to the Levity Zone podcast. Um, uh, the title of this came from two sources. One was from Terrence, Terrence McKenna, our, our dear departed bard, who said um, he talked about novelty all the time. Novelty, novelty. And one night I said to him, Terrence, we have enough novelty. We need more levity. <laughs> and another uh, source of this was um, uh, Sasha Shulgin. Because even when you when you looked in his eyes before he died, when this beautiful blue eyes of this amazing alchemist, this explorer into space uh, of the mind, using chemical chemical friends, you know, that he had synthesized. He was the ratchet through the conscious field like humans had never done. And I always looked in his eyes even when he couldn't look back when he was blind. And there was such levity, a deep pool of levity and joy in, in Sasha Shulgin. So the, the podcast is in honor of those those two fellows, Levity Zone podcast. Two legends. Tune, yeah. tune in. Mm-hmm. Folks. Tune in, folks, I would say. Um. Uh, the best way to find my work right now is through 
if you're on Facebook to uh, search for Budding Compassion Network, which is um, we've we've recently we were formerly the East Bay Canna Compassion Program, um, serving low income patients um, in the Bay Area. Um, but but I'll note that also since the prop po- passage of Prop 64 and the legalization of recreational cannabis in California, um, one unintended consequence of that was to uh, pretty much erase the ability for compassion programs to serve um, vulnerable populations, whether they be low-income folks, uh, veteran groups, intractably or terminally ill children or adults. And so we've joined with six other programs to form the California Compassion Coalition, which also has a Facebook page, um, to work with uh, legislators and um, regulators to create compliant pathways where we can share donated cannabis and cannabis products to these vulnerable communities, and in some cases, make the medicines that are unavailable to treat some of these conditions, particularly um, some of the cancer conditions and some of the seizure disorders, especially seizure disorders in children. children. Exactly. So um, look us up at Budding Compassion Network. We're working on our website right now as we relaunch. Um, You can message me there. Um, and we're hopeful to have a compliant pathway by the end of this year. Awesome. Thank you all so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank this, you. This is your, your first salon podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Very cool. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you really enjoyed the show. And I hope you live in a place where THC is legal because there's a lot of cool shit going on with that plant in general. And if you've had good experiences or bad in the past, doesn't really matter. There's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. I encourage uh, approaching these medicines with reverence and respect. And in doing so, you can get the most out of them. Uh, With that, always start low, work your way up. If you're a first-timer, you wouldn't have uh, a handle of Jack Daniels to the face. You'd you'd start slow, respecting the power of that spirit, (laughs) the spirits of Jack Daniels. So do the same with cannabis. And if you do so, you'll find it can be an amazing ally for pain, sleep, anxiety, you name it. And if you don't live in a state where THC is legal, that's cool too because CBD does a ton of good stuff and you can feel it. Even though it's non-psychoactive, much, much, much to be discovered with CBD, THC, and all the other cannabinoids that go into the wonderful plant of cannabis. Check out my man, Bruce Damer, and, uh, and everybody who joined us today. Thank you guys for tuning in. Take care.